The reading of the Scriptures from Romans chapter 12, reading verses 14 to 21. I invite your reverent hearing and hearing in faith of the public reading of God's Word. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, we will uh, loon soon enough from Romans chapter 13 that uh, Paul has um, a role for civil government. And uh, certainly one of the major roles of civil government is with all of its departments, courts, and laws uh, are available to redress uh, wrongs and I guess in some measure uh, govern conduct. Uh, but in the church, we have something even greater. Uh, it is uh, the virtue of love. That is, for us, a way to respond uh, to the evils that are in the world. It's not the only way, but it is a manifold way uh, that is to govern the conduct and life of the church. Uh, and contextually, uh, this love uh, produces virtue in our life as evidence of our transformation and our sanctification. In particular, in this text, uh, virtue towards those that are outside the church. We learned last week the virtue that we are to practice to those within the church. Uh, and now we turn to uh, virtuous living before uh, those that are not in the church. It is uh, important to remember that uh, virtue is the product of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit working within us. And that virtue can be seen. I mean, as you know, you can't see faith, but you can see virtue. And that is where Paul has us this morning, the virtue that can be seen in our dealings with those outside of the church. It's evidence of a changed heart. Uh, and again, it's important to recognize uh, when God justifies us, uh, He gives us new hearts. Uh, with the Spirit dwelling within us, uh, there is the evidence of that change that intensifies over time and in degree. And part of that intensification is the virtue of love. Uh, I think Paul perhaps has in mind the Sermon on the Mount. 
as well as perhaps generally speaking the Ten Commandments that as you know is broken out in two tables, love for God and love for neighbor. And that's where Paul takes us this morning, love for neighbor. Uh, our next door neighbor, perhaps someone that's in the cubicle next to us at work or down the hall. Uh, again, people that generally speaking are outside of the church. They are not Christians. And we're to be virtuous towards them. Because uh, we are witness to the world verbally, but uh, we are also the presence of God in the public square. And as they taste of the virtue of our lives and our conduct uh, towards them, uh, there is a measure of the presence of God in our lives in the public square. And as I've suggested, uh, love is that preeminent virtue. So Paul takes us specifically uh, in the reminder that the church is to love those outside of the faith. Uh, and he begins with some imperatives. Uh, the imperatives are general. Uh, they are not hard and fast, uh, but they are general guidelines to our lives. And I think that will become evident as we, as we go through the text. Uh, first, we, we have an imperative in uh, verse, verse 12, or pardon me, verse 14 to bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. Well, quite obvious, it's a very difficult thing to do. And that's why it's the product of the Holy Spirit who enables us to do just that. Uh, uh, The uh, word persecute... uh, is literally from the verb to pursue. Uh, in this case, to pursue after someone to do them harm. And that happens to us on occasion in life. Uh, people pursue us to do us harm in whatever form it takes. Maybe at work, maybe an angry neighbor. Again, uh, maybe someone who does not like our faith, who seeks to do us harm in the manifold ways that are available to the world. Remind you of Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Contextually, Sermon on the Mount, broad sense, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's to be our response. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says, when we are reviled, we're to bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. We persevere. Now again, I, I stated earlier that these are general prescriptions to us. They're not hard and fast. Uh, if someone is uh, trying to break in your home to, to do you harm, um, you wouldn't necessarily follow these, would you? You would call the police. Uh, you might have to protect yourself and some way or form. Uh, so again, they, these are general guidelines to our conduct. Uh, but I do remind you, as all of you know, you're going to be wronged in life. 
And sometimes there is no immediate cure whatsoever. Maybe civil government is no place to seek a cure. Just going to happen to you. It's best, I think, to move on knowing that God is sovereign. And that we are His children. That He takes care of His own. And certain measures of conduct are not available to us. Just because we are the people of God. When I was in seminary, uh, one of the most demanding uh, professors was a Hebrew professor by the name of Bruce Walke. Um, and he used in a sermon an illustration uh, once that has never left me. He said, in many respects, life is like a tennis court. Um, we look over the net, and there are boundaries on the court. And we have to hit the ball in the boundaries. But we look down on our side, and there's no boundaries whatsoever. The world can hit it anywhere and still score against us. Always been a beautiful reminder to me that we have guidelines uh, in which we must uh, live by and live in and live under the Word of God. The world has none of that. It can do us harm. And in many cases, there's just simply no relief whatsoever except the sovereignty of God. Because even though we have to hit the tennis ball within the boundaries and the world does not, we know that God is sovereign over every event, even our enemies, and even those who seek to do us harm. And the ball falls where he wills it to fall. The parallel in the text is do not curse them. So we do not invoke God and his angels to work them spiritual and eternal ruin. Um, we just we just let it go. Uh, secondly, we're to rejoice with those rejoicing and weep with those uh, that are weeping. Again, the uh, imperatives here are parallel. And again, I remind you, we're dealing uh, with outsiders to the church. We come across people, neighbors, maybe someone at work or uh, someone we know, a distant relative, and they're in great distress, and we, we pray for them. We try to encourage them. Uh, we have a sense of harm when, when they are harmed. Remind you of the beauty of the word encouragement. The basic word is what? Courage. We give people courage by standing with them when we can and we're able. And in giving them courage, they are encouraged. And it's part of uh, the virtue of love that is God's presence in the world and perhaps a, a way in which we can uh, manifest that presence not only in the virtue of our lives, but in sharing the gospel with them, with uh, the God who cures all things, who rights all wrongs because of who he is. Uh, the natural man can be... Uh, generally speaking, quite jealous and quite cold. Uh, we, we try to encourage and celebrate the success of others and shoulder uh, 
bear for someone or a listening ear and offer prayers when troubles arise. Countless ways to do that, but God gives us new hearts and our hearts are warm. Uh, with a reminder that do we do reflect God's presence in the world in which we live by virtuous conduct. Reading the account of a socialite in um, 19th century New York City, uh, incredibly wealthy family. Uh, on occasion, people would come into your home and uh, she would say something to the effect of, thank you for coming into my home, and no one wishes you to be more in your home than me. Uh, in other words, I had another friend of mine who had a doormat on his front door that uh, uh, was a thumb like this, and then the words below it, go away. Well, yeah, I don't know whether they were as cold and as heartless as uh, those uh, manifested, but uh, it is a reminder. Uh, I think the world can be incredibly cold. And by virtue of the transformation and the power of the Great Spirit, uh, we have a heart that's a bit different. And uh, we can offer a listening ear and perhaps the prayers to encourage. Um, Lots of ways to do that. I leave that to your own freedom and your own imagination, but um, credible in my own neighborhood. Uh, lots of people provide meals for people that get sick on my neighborhood. Uh, uh, fairly new neighbor of mine came by to share with me. She was uh, going in to have some surgery to replace uh, something in her, her life, and I just said, well, I'll pray for you. And she said, oh, I appreciate that. Don't know whether she's a Christian or not. I hope she is. It would be my prayer that she is. But God opens doors, sometimes uh, with just simple words like that. It's a reminder that because of Christ, we are different. Uh, next in uh, verse, verse 16, general reminder that uh, the vestiges of the fall of our forefather Adam are uh, still within us. We have the legal cure in Jesus Christ and the spiritual cure uh, to suppress those vestiges, but we're to be reminded to be careful of uh, pride. Uh, one of the greatest of all failures of men and women. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil by thinking that you are especially wise and gifted and great. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It's the imperative to um, be of the same mind. Literally thinking the same thing. Uh, and again, this engages uh, actions towards outsiders. That we treat people in the same way. Not differently based upon their station in life or, I don't know, their appearance or something perhaps we're trying to get from them. Uh, we, we, we shun nepotism. Uh, we shun currying favor. Um, 
We, we simply want to be uh, kind and gracious and respectful to all. Treating everyone the same way, same standard. This is amplified by do not think too highly of yourself and accommodate yourself to the lowly. Humility is a child of love. And it's especially vibrant in the Christian because we we know instinctively that we were saved by the pure grace of God and nothing else. Not our appearance. Not God currying favor with us. Not because He needed something from us. Certainly not because we deserved it. And that new heart we're given breeds a measure of humility. Uh, and it's in great demand in the world today, I think. And we all know people who get full of themselves. Uh, we are different uh, because uh, the Spirit has transformed our hearts. Our theology teaches us that God is has given to us everything that we have. And He's also able to take everything away. And that's why we're humble. And uh, all of our possessions belong to Him. Our health, our life, our abilities, uh, our gifts and skills. And so we walk humbly before the Lord. Use them for His glory. Uh, certainly a great reminder, Paul says, to church at Philippi, chapter 2, uh, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. He tells the church. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. That's in the church. I'm saying we, we should regard people in a similar manner that are outside the church who don't know Jesus Christ need to see a measure of His presence in our lives and that we are a measure of His presence in the world in which we live. Philippians 2.4 Do not really look out for your own personal interests. Look also out for the interests of others. So yes, take care of yourself. But look out for the interests of others. Uh, as you know, uh, in Philippians 2, Christ is used, the theology of the Incarnation, as the supreme example to the church as to the conduct which Paul has just stressed. Because he set aside his heavenly environment and the voluntary use of his attributes, submitted himself to evil men as an act of love. Uh, I was amazed when I see the posters that we have in the world. Some famous athlete, famous entertainer. Let Christ be a poster on your heart. Fourth, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Natural man does what? It does exactly that. Gets even. I mean, I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard someone 
say something to the effect that payback is, and I'll let you fit in whatever predicate nominative is, comes to your mind. Payback. That's what the world does. Now, that door is shut to us. We don't pay back. Now, obviously, civil law is available to us. I'm not suggesting it's not. But it is. And if there's the right occasion, again, use it. Uh, but sometimes civil law just can't encompass everything. So, um, we, we wait patiently on God and His sovereign grace and presence. Now, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The apostle says, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. One of the great titans of, of uh, American industry, particularly the transportation industry, the 1900s, uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt, uh, amassed a, an incredible fortune. Uh, he started out in the uh, steamboat industry. There were some businessmen who cheated him. Vanderbilt said to them, I'm not going to take you to court. That'll take too long. I'm going to ruin you. And he did. He ruined them and chased them out of business. Well, that's the way of the world. It's not the way of the church, dealing with outsiders. And sometimes it's best to move on and increase the distance between you and the angry. I used to tell people at work when I would interview them or perhaps a post-job uh, uh, interview that if they got the job that I wanted to talk to them one more time. Generally, I would stress to them the importance of success that comes from values. Values have a way of making things work. But I would always tell them Look, difficult things are going to happen out here. Sometimes personalities get involved. Sometimes uh, a customer is angry and wants to vent. Just remember this. Cool heads prevail. And that is in a measure, I think, of what Paul is saying here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. Do not say I'll repay evil. And then the Proverbs gives us the reason why. Wait for the Lord, for He will save you. Now, that's an incredible statement of our hope and trust in the sovereignty of God. Well, God, civil government's not available to me, but you are. In your own time, you will fix it. Help me to have the right frame of mind and go on trusting you. The corollary is respect the good in the sight of all men. Uh, verbal force is to take thought of them. In other words, respect the good that's in all men. Obviously, if they're outside of the faith, and we are dealing generally with those outside the faith, uh, common grace, they still have some good. Give it its due. 
God. Oftentimes we're the beneficiary of it. If we sometimes are the beneficiary of uh, their cold hearts and their desire to get evil, sometimes conversely in God's grace, His common grace to all men, even the lost, uh, we are partakers uh, of their goodness to us. And so we, we honor that. In a measure, perhaps, we respect it for what it is and accord them proper manners. You and I know that the natural man typically judges on appearance, but we're all God's creatures. Everyone we come across in life, regardless of their station, regardless of their appearance, is made by God. And therefore, we, we respect them for that. We respect His creative work in His own way. Knowing that it came from uh, the grace of God. And we acknowledge that in people. Next is uh, an entreaty, uh, verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Remember, uh, Winston Churchill said of President Roosevelt, Secretary of State, that uh, he carried around on his back his own china closet with him, always smashing it and breaking it. It's always stuck with me because sometimes we just simply want to cause problems. Paul is closing that door to us. As far as it depends upon us, be at peace. Let things go if you can. And keep moving on. Knowing that you're a child of God. Knowing that you're to express love. And that God will take care of you. Things that can't be righted by civil government will be righted by God. And therefore, we can leave it in His hands. Perhaps Paul has in mind the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's the divine presence of God in our lives, in the world, being a peacemaker. If you can't make peace, just keep moving on. Let it go. Issue that belongs in God's sovereignty. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one shall see the Lord. Boy, that's a reminder to be a peacemaker. Uh, because uh, God works virtue within us uh, so that we will see Him by His grace. Seventh virtue is verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's a great reminder. The world will try to get even. We can't. That door is closed to us. That's God's prerogative. He works it in His own time, in His own way. Uh, the citation is a, 
quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, from the Song of Moses. But the context is that God has a store of judgment, but it's his store, and he will mete it out in his own time. He will unleash it when it's pleasing to him. Then, if you would turn, let's turn to Deuteronomy 32. Because there's something here that is critical to understand that helps us uh, in understanding a measure of the providence of God. Deuteronomy 32, in verse 35. Vengeance is mine and, and, and retribution. And then notice what Moses says. That's the reason sometimes we can let it go. He says what? In due time, their foot will slip. In due time, God will act and make it right. It's concept of divine judgment. Uh, he'll make their path slippery, and they will fall and never rise again. That reminds you of uh, so much evil that's uh, present in our world uh, with incredible lawlessness. What do we read in Romans chapter 1? Three times God acting, God gave them over. Act of incredible retribution. People think, I'm, I'm free, I can define myself, I can define this about me and that about me, and no one is going to put any boundaries on my life, and it's all a product of what? God's retribution to them. Because He's turned them over to spiritual ruin. Remember that. I oftentimes get upset with things I see in the world, and I have to remember... You know, yeah, in due time their foot slipped. God is still sovereign. And God is pouring out judgment each and every day. And in the end, it will be worse than they could ever imagine. John chapter 3, verse 36, the wrath of God abides, present tense, upon those who are outside of Jesus Christ. Conversely, when their foot will slip, what does God in His grace say of us? The great benediction, not to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to Him that will keep your foot from slipping. What an incredible reminder of the majesty of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The lost, they, they will slip someday. In due time, God will make it so. But for us, He is able to keep our feet from slipping. We live in a slippery world. And God has our divine ability to navigate all of those places and to keep us and to hold us fast. You, you know what else it follows? Most One of the greatest promises in all of Scripture and to make you to stand in the presence of His glory blameless. How can that be? We're all guilty, full of blame. Christ pays for our guilt. 
sends His Spirit to transform us, He will make us blameless. What a compelling reason to become a Christian. The world is full of blame. The sons of God will stand before the eternal judge, blameless because of Christ. And our feet will never slip. Revenge is a divine prerogative, so leave it to him. Uh, Paul says, uh, leave it to his wrath. There is a final judgment. Uh, next, in verse 20, there's a quotation from Proverbs uh, 25.21. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. And in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Uh, obviously, incredibly metaphorical. Uh, telling us to be kind and gracious. The figure of coals is that it may work upon them guilt and shame. Uh, that they would feel guilty in the way that they treated you. Uh, now again, I would remind you, uh, you can't do that. Only God can make that happen. And therefore, you can leave it with Him and be at peace with yourself. Lastly, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot, as you know, incredible evil in this world. Uh, do not compromise with it or succumb to bitterness. Return it with good. Uh, and we can do that because of the grace of God. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 37. But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. The majesty of love, the love of Christ, enables us to do just that. I remind myself that uh, virtue will will keep us safe in this world uh, and that virtue pays its own dividends and its own ways and that God is the payee. All the products of His grace. He changes our hearts, reminds us that we are to live virtuously towards those outside of the faith and that God will take care of us. And the great sovereign reminder, metaphorically speaking, he makes out the check and signs it and delivers. Uh, the church has uh, proof that um, love works. The great virtue works first in Christ. We were his enemies. How did he treat us? He made us his friends. We were opposed to him. What did He do for us? Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. He gave to us in grace what we did not and do not deserve. And it's the important reminder, the context is we were His enemies. We were opposed to Him. But He made our hearts new by His sovereign power. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, of Christ, while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats. But, Peter says, He, namely Christ, kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. That's the standard of our conduct. God, it's in Your hands. It's what Christ did. He is the epitome of the virtuous man. 
He is the God-man. He is divine. But he was also came to us in human form and lived out these things before us. In the midst of the greatest evil of all time, the crucifixion, he entrusted himself to God. And what did God do? I told you earlier that God is the payee. Well, let me tell you how he paid his son. Sit at my right hand until I make all of your enemies the footstool of your feet. Psalm 110, verse 1. No. Incredible. One of my favorite uh, uh, psalms is Psalm 73. You want to turn there. Um, the uh, psalmist is uh, mad. He's uh, mad at God. And I would remind you to be very careful about getting mad at God. We live in a fallen world. Lots of bad things are going to happen to you. Don't get mad at God. It's Adam's fault and your fault for participating with him. So he gets mad at God's. Psalm 73. He's mad at God because of the prosperity of the wicked. He's envious of them. He wants what they have. And he says, uh, in the in the language of Deuteronomy 32, my, my foot almost slipped. But he goes to church and here's a sermon of how God's going to deal with them and their ways and their ends. Look at Psalm 73 and verse 18. Surely thou dost set them in slippery places, thou dost cast them down to destruction. An allusion to Deuteronomy 32. In due time their foot will slip. Leave it in his hands. Go on, trust God. Leave it in his hands. He knows now that their time will come. And he's at peace with that. Another favorite of mine, a virtuous man, is Daniel. Daniel tells us how to survive in an evil world, surrounded by idolatry. He has been taken into captivity. Um, he's put in the court of the emperor to totally transform him. Uh, opposition to Romans 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now the court of the emperor Nebuchadnezzar brings Daniel into his court to transform him. Sends him to school to teach him to trust Marduk to forsake biblical learning. Daniel had a great excuse to do just that. Well, my God failed. If my God had been with us in Jerusalem, we'd have never been taken in captivity. No, he knew they were in captivity because of idolatry. And he was the product of the failure of other men. And now he's at a place where someone's trying to totally transform him. And what does he do? He trusts God. At court, he's to violate his dietary laws. Can't do that. Because at court, as evil as it is, he is still to trust the Lord. And he does that and God takes care of him. He is renamed after the gods of Babylon. But he's resolved to be faithful to God. Now turn to Daniel chapter 1. Verse 9, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight 
of the commander of the officials. Daniel's trusting God in an incredibly difficult time in his life. And what's he do? He trusts God. What does God do? God granted, God gave to Daniel favor. He's been asked to violate dietary laws. So the person who's bringing him uh, food that he lawfully cannot eat as a Christian in the Old Testament, uh, God simply changes the heart of the court official. Notice the grace of God. God gave Daniel. Notice verse 17, my favorite of all. There are four men that we study briefly in Daniel, as you know. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. In other words, God is going to give to Daniel everything he needs to navigate this incredibly transformative time in his life so that he can remain faithful to the end by being a virtuous man. The grace of God, given to him by God. In chapter 6, some men at court, out of envy, seek to do him harm. They trick the king into making a proclamation uh, that was against uh, uh, the law to pray to God, and the penalty was the lion's den. What does Daniel do? Does he go underground? Does he simply reject it? No. He trusts God. And he's thrown in the lion's den. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in the roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. He didn't change anything about his life, even though he knew it would bring him in a sentence of death. He kept doing the right things, trusting God. As you know, he's thrown in the lion's den. And God was with him and protected him. Uh, Verses 19 to 22. Very quickly, verse 21, Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever, my God, who sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, as inasmuch I was found innocent before him. So, I mean, the lions were probably starving to death. They wanted to eat Daniel, but God was with him. In all the difficulties of your life, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, He will be with you. Care for you. And then what does God do with the men who tried to do Him harm? You know the story. The king threw them in the lion's den, and then the lions could eat, and eat they did. And in due time, their foot slipped, and God had them forever. And they never rose again. But Daniel was rescued. So, love works. Love has great dividends. God will take care of you. Continue practicing virtuous living before the world as an evidence that God is with you. And chiefly, never forget that God's love will not only be with you, it will see you to the end. 
of everlasting glory. Uh, Take it to heart, it will be so. Because God takes care of His own. And we are to represent Him in a godless world with the lifestyle that Paul has spoken to us of and chiefly to emulate our great and only Redeemer to advance His great name and for His glory. And may God, of course, help us to these very ends.